0: Hello and welcome to the Dispatched Podcast Week in Review. My name is Paul Cross and I'm joined once again by Felicity McNeil, at Better Access Australia. Hi, Felicity.
1: Hi, Paul. Happy Friday.
0: It's Friday. And it's another week of uh, focusing on the HTA Review Options paper. Uh, and I have, I have to say that, My anger with this hasn't really calmed or cooled.
1: Uh, Those of us who happen to be in your circle of contact would be acutely aware of that, uh, both in person, text, message, (laughs) calls, writing, yes. Um, But I also believe that you've tried to channel that frustration and anger into some back-to-university theorising. I have. have. You've got to share with us, Paul. You've got to share.
0: Well... uh, there was a webinar held this week between Medicines Australia and their patient group network in which this options paper was described in incredibly positive terms.
1: <laughs> Sorry. I've been talking I, to real patients who don't think that. But anyway, yeah, keep going. Right.
0: That's right. Well, so I've tried, to, I've tried to work out what is going on here. Because if I look at the process we've been through in the last couple of years with this HTA review, it actually mirrors very closely what we saw with the PBS pricing framework in 2020. It's almost, you could almost overlay the two on each other. So I think it would be fair to describe the PBS pricing framework as a failure, except from the government's perspective, of course. Yeah. But certainly, from the industry's perspective, it was a failure, and 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 if you look at the HTA review, it's 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 certainly a failure. So I think there's two sorts of failures that have gone on here. There's the high level failure, which was the the supervisory failure, in a sense, the institutional failure, which was, in the case of the HTA review, thinking that this would be a vehicle for the change stakeholders wanted. Yeah. That was, a, that was a mistake. So the, the first decision was an error. Now, you and I were both saying two years ago when this was announced, we were sort of miffed by the enthusiasm. Yes. Because we are creatures of government. We know the governments are very effective at using these processes to get what they wanted. But that high-level failure then led to all of these active failures, I suppose, which is sort of the equivalent. I, I was reading a paper where this was described as like punching holes in a cheese.
1: Swiss cheese Swiss
0: cheese, yeah So these were failures Were sort of the initial acceptance Of Peter Boxler's chair Maybe in hindsight Uh, You know, the appointment appointment of someone The industry's appointment First appointment to the reference committee Was someone who didn't even live in Australia Yes Which the obvious message was That we don't have anyone Who's capable of doing this Mm. Which was a very odd thing The acceptance of confidentiality The probity advisor and the administration of this reference committee overseeing the review by the area of the department that reports directly to the government's member
1: and has four members on the committee. Yeah,
0: yeah. So, and then, and then, more recently, the acceptance, the enthusiastic acceptance of the options paper. These are all the active phases Now, I, I don't, I, I don't want to. Say, well, no, I do want to say, I told you so. Because I think I think we on this podcast and and in the publication have sort of predicted all of these things. Yes, and so I think going forward now we can predict what's going to happen, which are the, the the active failures that are going to now manifest. So the next active failures will be the industry is not going to get its head around these options paper and the sensible sensible way to approach that and to respond to that and then the government will do what it always does which it will quickly administer those bits of the options paper that it likes and the bits that it doesn't like will never see the light of day
1: so you mean it's a bit like the novel technology inquiry which had effectively 101 recommendations and the first one that the department introduced was cost recovery yes. for MSEC.
0: yeah I and mean, this is no, all Paul. I know this is terrible but it's all it all entirely predictable yes so the industry does have a chance now to back out of it but it's got to accept that it doesn't want to repeat the same mistakes that it repeated with the PBS pricing framework because the latent failure with the PBS pricing framework was agreement to go into a pricing negotiation a couple of months before budget
1: after they'd already actually agreed to the price cuts up front
0: yes so the price cuts were agreed up front and then they negotiated the agreement so that was that was this terrible high level institutional failure but then that triggered all of these these active failures and ultimately companies suffered the consequences of those and, and, and patients will and have suffered all of the stress and concern about losing access to medicine. So you can overlay those, those two processes and say, well, they're symptomatic of the same thing, which is institutional failure.
1: Yes, and how do you solve institutional failure, Paul? <laughs>
0: well, unfortunately, the solutions are are quite hard. I had to spend this time trying to work out in my head, and we'll be reporting on this more in more detail on Monday, about this is what's happening here is that the first mistake is being made at the high level, and then what's following is a series of lots of mistakes. So it's a bit like plane crashes explained by multiple, multiple bad decisions.
1: Yeah, I love air crash
0: investigations. <laughs> the, the good thing, the good part of this is that it's entirely predictable. but. If you get that supervisory failure, if you make that mistake at the start, what follows is a whole series of active failures. Now,
1: Isn't it a bit like the um, Korean plane where because of the deferential nature and you haven't raised a culture in your organisation where you can actually say, um, excuse me, this is how planes crash and this is how things happen in those kind of organisations and I, I kind of look at what goes on in the pharmaceutical industry and say, isn't that exactly what happens in this sector?
0: Well, that is exactly what what happens. Unfortunately, there is a culture where people who speak out are ostracised. There's a culture of toe the line or else. And frankly, there's a culture of a lack of courage to speak out. Now, I have to say, I, I am an unabashed fan of the pharmaceutical industry. <laughs>
1: I know, you've got a, a logo of every pharmaceutical company in this podcast <laughs> recording studio.
0: That's not true. No, but-, it is. <laughs> but but I, But in all seriousness, I'm an unabashed fan and I have been since I first engaged with the industry in the mid-1990s. However, I can't sit back and observe what's going on. Managing directors are meeting this week and other industry committees are meeting next week and I'm telling you that if you aren't willing to speak out and do something about this, then I'd just rather the institution engage in a process of change because I'm fed up with this happening. I'm really fed up with it. It's entirely predictable. I don't like saying I told you so. But if you if you don't speak out on this disastrous options paper and if you don't speak out when the government quickly goes to implement these changes, I don't want to hear any complaints at the mass devaluation of your product portfolios, your inability to get medicines funded and other technologies funded and having to deal with a new centralised HTA body which is going to be like Pharmac. I don't want to hear any complaints.
1: One of the things that I think your listenership needs to remember is that calling you to whinge or texting you or emailing you about what they really think is actually – useless unless they actually say it in a public domain and actually generate change within their own sector. I mean, it's really great to hear from individuals who are, oh, they're really worried about it. Well, if you're not doing anything about it, that that's even worse. I'd rather you just stay quiet. If I have one more person explain to me, that, you know, we are really worried about what it means for patients or, you know, but it will helpful for some patients. Well, again, what are you going to do about it? I mean, I've met with patients this week and, Many aren't aware of this massive 175-page document plus another about 2,000 pages of attachments by the time you read through the history. They're trying to deal with everything else that's of an immediate concern to them in the broader health system, and we're having to very quickly help them and say, look, here are a few bits and pieces. This is what you need to consider with respect to your access and your opportunities. I think it's egregious that there's been a webinar or whatever it was to say to people, it's all good, nothing to see here, because I also remind the industry to just like when you have these continuous failures, and you tell us all to go away when there's a problem. The first people you turn to is the patients. Say, could you please lobby for us? Could you talk to your local member? Could you could you write an article? Can you talk to Sue Levy? Can you talk to Paul? Don't do that to us again. Please do not do that to us again.
0: Yeah, you've got yourself industry in a pretty bad position. And now you've got to act on principle and do the right thing and extract yourself and save this public health system from a change which is driven entirely by budget considerations. And if you look at the four-page document that Medicines Australia issued to their members, it is a a fantasy. I owe so much of what I've been able to do in my life to the pharmaceutical industry. And they continue to be very good to me in supporting the publication and our our events but I can't I can't let this slide and I can't just sort of sit here and pretend that a good outcome has somehow been produced from a process which has predictably been absolutely horrible you have walked into this your roadmap as so called is a road off a cliff and so I'm telling you you have to do something you have 2 weeks to do something
1: and it's not just the pharmaceutical industry that has to do this, I am gravely concerned for the medical device sector and the diagnostics and pathology sectors who are being caught into the vortex without active engagement. And as I said on your podcast last week, there are many things that, with respect to the PBS, I'm quite supportive of in respect of reform, and that's fine, and I we will publicly say what we think in our budget submissions as we have, and we will respond to the consultation paper But there's a lot of devil in the detail and just because we see some things that are of benefit, we also see some things as risk and you can't see what you want in isolation. You have to see what you, with opportunity comes responsibility or with opportunity comes loss and risk. And so you have to decide is what you wanted worth what you will lose and I think that the industry doesn't have a great history of understanding that just because, and I haven't seen the document you referred to because obviously I'm not from Medicines Australia, but if you see something that is one of your tick boxes, that doesn't mean that everything is good and you shouldn't forsake the rest of us just because you've got one thing that benefits a subpopulation of your membership and a subpopulation of the, of the, the community.
0: It, it calls for the, legis- the introduction of a legislated single HTA decision-making body which will have powers over every single publicly funded technology. A terrible idea. Because the next option under that is Australia will get into international collaborations to leverage cross-border market share to procure products.
1: Yes, well, as I talked to you about earlier in the week, one of the Health officials, who's also formerly worked at the WHO, was in the WHO Fair Pricing Forum this week, discussing how to get fairer, cheaper prices across medical devices globally. Uh, it was a very interesting panel discussion. These conversations are taking place whether the industry is paying attention or not.
0: As you say, everyone looks at their own little silo without taking a step back. Yes, this options paper has directly and explicitly repudiated your key asks from the last few years, particularly around second-order effects and particularly around comparator selection. It's just said, no, we're not, we're not going to consider those things. As you can tell, I'm incredibly angry about it. I'm frustrated at the way patients have been gaslighted by the industry into thinking that this is a good thing. When this goes bad, as it will by the middle of this year, I do not want to hear the industry wanting patients to support them in overturning some of these poor outcomes. I don't want to hear it. Vaccine companies, do you realise they're going to get rid of a mm. That you've signed up for that, getting rid of a target. Now, people might say, well, they ignore a target anyway. Yeah, but it creates a tension in the system.
1: Yes. I was saying it last week. I, I do not want to see a target as an afterthought. There's nothing like saying to someone, well, like I said, we're willing to fund and, you know, I'm going to talk about um, meningococcal all the time because it's one of the greatest frustrations I've ever had. Atagi has said from the word go that, you know, all children in Australia needed that protection, but PBSC has only ever found it cost-effective in a subpopulation continually and we take it. And the problem is, is that if you flip it, if you flip and say this is all we're going to give you, Where is the competitive tension? Where is the? Ironically, when we're sitting here writing a report saying we need to get patients and clinicians involved in earlier in the process, you're going to do the complete antithesis of that and say, so the preeminent clinicians and public health people who understand the importance of vaccines, we're actually going to get that, we're going to consult with them after the process. You're actually endorsing something that's completely at odds with what everyone's been asking for. Talk to us about what we need as a community.
0: The stuff in this options paper about patient engagement, (laughs) it would be hilarious if it wasn't so tragic. Yeah. So what, you know, so the so-called patient representatives who've been involved in this process, what have you been doing? Because all this paper says is, well, if we just issue a plain language summary... And if you only understood what we do, then you wouldn't complain so much about the fact that you're not getting access to things.
1: Yes, and we'll teach you how to respond better to what we need you to
0: tell us, not the what you want to tell us. This is an institution and a system that is all about itself, that is all about prioritizing its own needs, and the industry has decided to put its lot in with this institution.
1: And like I said, there are some there are some good things in this, there are some good ideas, but the way that it has been done the exclusion of so many people we can all see from the time frames that this is a preordained outcome and there will be something in the budget the report that comes out in the report comes out in april mid-april from this committee will reflect what's already gone into the budget and what we can all expect to be the big announcements and we're going to have to live with it that's the thing that really annoys me there is no genuine workshopping and consultation you know as patients, we can sit on a webinar and be talked to. That would be lovely. Love those webinars. Where is the genuine engagement, the sitting down, the 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 realistic pulling apart of what you're about to do to our system. Where was all that with the community? I feel, you know, If the government can spend hundreds of thousands of dollars bringing those people into whiteboard to explain to me how my process works, why aren't I spending those hundreds of thousands of dollars engaging with clinicians and the community to say, this is really what happens when you move between primary care and acute care, when you move between a tablet versus a subcutaneous versus IV infusion versus supportive care in a hospital after. Let's talk about what the health system means for you. Let's talk about how many times you get interrupted uh, in the continuing, na- continuing nature of your care based on how we do HTA. That was the conversation that should have taken place. That were the genuine workshops that shouldn't take place. No, we've done the usual lip service and because in the end, government sees pharmaceuticals as widgets. It is a commodity pricing. It is not a health intervention. They do not see it like nursing care or or doctor care or pharmacist care. They do not see it like the bricks and mortar of a hospital. They see you as something as a bulk purchasing arrangement. like I go to the co-op. And until you let patients in in a different way and let us talk to you about our experience with the health system from the first interaction to the last, we end up with what's going to happen now.
0: Well, that's really well said. If this carries on down the path that I have to say I suspect – then I think there's going to have to be a move to change how those things are done. And ultimately, with institutional failures that we've seen in recent years, where initial decisions have been compounded by subsequent really bad decisions, then the way change is negotiated in this country needs to be changed. So people people don't, you know, they're un- uncomfortable when the conversation gets difficult. They're uncomfortable Sometimes when we speak very bluntly on this podcast, well, I'm telling you, grow up. And that means a willingness to have a difficult conversation. Just underst- just can I please just understand what you're agreeing to here?
1: Yeah. And and I think, see, also what's going on more broadly. So you reported on Alan Fell's report this week talking about, you know, the price gouging and evil big pharma and an interesting, an interesting counterfactual to Hash Stronger PBS, which is of course doing the rounds on LinkedIn again at the moment, and of course Alan Fells's port picks up from what Bernie Sanders has been doing in the the US over the last week, highlighting the what he considers you know constant vacuous patents. I think one, the highlight for him was seventy nine percent of patents that had been applied for for a molecule that had been approved by the FDA after the fact. And these are interesting things. Think about the counterfactual that is going on right now. Think about those in the parliament who support you and your value and those who see you as price gougers. Think about the fact that unions came out in support of the price gouging of the pharmaceutical industry. Um, I find that interesting in that most union superannuation funds would probably hold shares in a pharmaceutical company. (laughs) But – read read the tea leaves of the broader conversation isn't it interesting that after you you put out stronger pbs which again i noticed the focus this week was seven percent of medicines available in new zealand it's not immediately relevant to us but think about the narrative and the environment that is being created for the tolerability of significant changes to the way we price your medicines in Australia. That is coming. And the shift in the community's understanding of who you are, your big farmer, your greedy farmer, um, there's not as great an understanding, or there's not a greater. Devices don't have that same issue at the moment. I know the PHI associations are, are really trying to encourage that thinking about evil device companies. But I just find those planting of seeds and the effort given to particular reports and the media coverage given to that, you can see what's coming.
0: Oh, yeah. Just understand, read, the, read the options paper and understand that you have celebrated, that's not my words, that's your words, you've celebrated as an industry proposals that would deliver the single greatest wholesale destruction in the value of health technology since the PBS was created and impose a raft of new powers which almost defies belief that the industry supports this through the centralization of decision-making that would enable this advisory committee to just continually come back and extract value and ultimately make it more difficult for technologies to get funded, and that means more difficult for patients to get access to funded technologies. Now, you and I have been speaking to some patients this week yeah, who live and breathe these decisions via blood products. Yeah. And they are proposing to put blood products in with vaccines, medicines and other health technologies, and you and I both know that that means the deprioritization of blood products. Yeah. So industry... Please understand what you're doing. As bad as that pricing framework was and the way it was negotiated, this is of, a, of an order of magnitude worse because you are proposing to enshrine new powers.
1: Yeah, and I mean, you go back to the only two years ago, and I, I look at the fact that when they looked at the new uh, charging arrangements that the for risk shares and pricing. ...that the industry agreed to up front. And... Sorry, Maggie just laughed at the biggest yawn. Sorry, Mags. Um, but agreed to up front. It wasn't the industry that actually managed to get that reversed. It was actually others in the sector, other stakeholders... ...and in the end, mostly the tax office and the department... realizing that what they had planned couldn't actually be achieved... And that was another example of just accepting something and...
0: Oh, that was the fake invoicing.
1: The fake invoicing. That's right. Yeah. That's a criminal, criminal offence. Like I said, thank you to the tax office for stopping <laughs> that one. But there are, you know, when I listen to you talk, you can see that it happened again. You can see it when, you know, they signed the 2017 agreement and then companies immediately started accepting the paying in advance and mm. new processes and didn't uphold their rights, which is no new policy without consultation, less than 30 days after they'd signed an agreement. So as the industry reflects, I think the extremity of the theory that you have been talking about today probably had its uh, bubbling iterations probably as far back as 2011, 2012. But I think you've hit peak saturation and the ability to learn from the mistakes the past and to protect patients going into the future. We're kind of begging you.
0: Yeah, we are begging you. So the general managers out there, the people who have given this privileged position in our system, the world in in Canberra is not like your corporate world, okay? It's not about, you know, collaboration and win-win and doing all of that. It's about government getting what it wants and they engage in these processes to get what they want and to get you to agree to it. So there's not puppies and kittens and butterflies. It's virtually medieval, the way they operate. And they're very clever. They are constantly outmanoeuvring you.
1: And I think that's an important thing to remember, which is when industry representatives lose, you lose for your company. But when you lose, we as patients actually lose for ourselves. We lose access. And it's personal for us. So please imagine it's you.
0: In the, in the end, if government wants to do something, it's very hard to stop them. True. But it's your job, industry, sometimes to save government from making stupid decisions. And, and this options paper is full of stupid, stupid decisions that will undermine equitable access to funded health technologies in this country. And your job, industry, is to say to government, if you do this, this is the risk. This is the risk of unintended consequence that might happen. Now, that doesn't mean the government can't go off and do it. But at this point in time, you're acquiescing and collaborating on something that is going to be a really, really poor outcome. Read it with a view that you're a finance official. Read it with that mindset. And then you, like you and I, Felicity, you will understand that this document is a death warrant for public health in this country. And you are walking off a cliff. You are walking off a cliff. Your roadmap is a road <laughs> off a cliff. <laughs> Please. Not and Louise, yes, it's- <laughs> yeah. It's not, you know, there's not going to be a safe landing on this. Everything that has happened in this review process, whether it be the appointment of the chair, the terms of reference, the probity advisor, the confidentiality, the horrible options paper, I think it would be fair to say we've predicted them.
1: Yeah.
0: We've predicted them. And the next thing that's going to happen is that your feedback on the options paper will be mostly ignored. They will move to implement those parts of this paper that they really want to implement quickly. And that's all about cost reduction and value destruction, disinvestment and centralisation of power. You have to start thinking about ways to extract yourself from this and act in the best interests of patients.
1: I want to use this opportunity, Paul, because as you know, my mum's a huge listener and extensively so is the hospital and the staff that look after her. So, mum, it's your 80th birthday today. Happy birthday and to all the wonderful people at the University of Canberra Hospital and the Canberra Hospital, thank you for all the love and care and time and effort you put in to keep my mum safe.
0: Oh, that's a very nice way to end. Happy birthday, Mrs McNeil.